performance reviews, evaluations, and how do you know what you're doing right or wrong in your clinic? Are you getting the feedback you need from your leadership? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And quite frankly, one of the tough topics that we all must confront in our daily practice is feedback. But sadly, too often we get too little too infrequently. And what I'm talking about are your performance evaluations, your job reviews, how your boss or manager tells you what you're doing right, and maybe where you can improve. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. I was lucky enough to participate in a pretty cool panel at the AVMA convention um, that kind of focused on, you know, leadership and, and mentoring. But in that discussion, it was brought up by a, a lot of the attendees that they weren't necessarily receiving feedback. And when they were, um, by our standards, as far as people who kind of look into giving that kind of positive feedback, they were really getting it in the wrong ways at the wrong time. And so it seemed like a valid conversation for this podcast right here because we tackle the toughest topics. And frankly, reviews can be a tough topic, right? They can for both sides of the equation. Now, today I'll be sort of keeping my practice owner, practice management expert hat on for this conversation. But you know, this is something, Becky, that when we were building our clinics, when we were managing, you know, scores of, of employees, quite frankly, we made this a priority. And we made it a priority for a, a wide variety of reasons, which we'll get to today in this podcast, but primarily so that we could improve the skills, the attitudes, the morale of our employees. So I think right there you have to start and say, you know what, if I'm not happy with my clinic culture, if I'm not happy with staff morale, if my team seems burnt out, whatever, just, you know, then I need to say, what can I do as a leader to try to bring them out of this? And quite frankly, most of the time, it is a mismatch between expectations and performance. And that goes both ways, right, Becky? I mean, it's life, right? right. <laughs> expectations and performance and, and the, the failure to communicate the two and to kind of bridge those. And additionally, I think we, what we have to look at is not just what we're doing for feedback and how we're giving it, but, but when we're giving it. it just seems like we're not giving it frequently enough and maybe not giving our coworkers and employees the tools that they need to grow from review to review. And so it seems like you can kind of easily end up in this like review rut where you're just giving the same conversation over and over. Even if that is, hey, you're doing great. I have no suggestions for improvement. How boring is that? Right. And I will say this. We also viewed reviews uh, and evaluations sort of in two broad categories. One was what we called a formal evaluation or formal performance review. And that was what you would expect, right? There was a 360 degree feedback uh, process, which we'll talk about in a second. There were forms to be filled out and there was a special session where we sat down and privately discussed the findings. Okay. So that's like a formal review process. Many of you that are listening today probably think of that as an evaluation, but then we had this thing called informal performance reviews, which didn't look like a bunch of paper shuffling around. And maybe even we didn't make an appointment in the office with you. These were little set aside times that we strategically placed throughout employment. And we would have a manager 
or an owner pull you aside and have a quick little, you know, 10 to 30 minute conversation, depending on the the importance of the issue that we were at hand. But really, you know, we used to call those check-ins, right? So there's check-ups, which were our performance reviews, these formal things. And then the check-ins were sort of these little nudges and to tilt you in a certain direction, perhaps. So Becky, that's kind of where I want to start. The second thing I want to say is if you're struggling with culture out there, like if this isn't embedded and hardwired into the culture of your, your clinic, you need to ask yourself, how are you setting this up? For example, when you go through the interview process with us, we're already telling you that you're going to be reviewed regularly. And so what we're actually doing is setting the expectation of a prospective employee to say, you better get ready because we're going to be evaluating you, you know, on a monthly basis for the first three months. And then we're going to do it every three months for the next till till you reach your six month. And then we're going to do it every six months for the first three years of your full-time employment. Now, that's what we're saying, Becky, during the hiring process. Don't you think that sort of sets up those expectations and demands that we need to deliver on as management? I guess, yes, it definitely sets up the expectation of what they can expect in, as far as reviews and performance goes. One thing we want to be careful of, though, is creating a culture of fear around these things. Right. You know, we don't want it to sound like, hey, I'm big brother. I'm going to be watching you. You're going to be hearing from me regularly. Every time you breathe in the wrong direction, it's going to be on a piece of paper. We want to make sure that the point of these is that our employees and our coworkers know we really want to make sure we maintain a comfortable culture for you and for everyone else. We want to know how you're doing. We want your feedback. We want to know how you feel in this facility. Those types of things. So so it's not just letting them know what you're doing, but why you're doing it so that it doesn't come from a point of fear because just viscerally you hear a review and there's a, there's an associated stress with it. I love the terminology checkups and check-ins because that doesn't have such a maybe negative visceral response for people who are receiving it. And I think making it really clear that you actually are also really going to be looking for their providing their feedback as well and hearing from them and letting them know that this isn't just an opportunity for us to talk at you. It's that we want to hear from you as well. It's really important. Right. And, and you can see it took us about a decade to figure out this blending of these formal and informal processes because we found that different employees responded differently. So some of them during a quote unquote check in where it was just kind of pulling you aside in a hallway, even sometimes and just having this private conversation about how's it going. They really opened up and expressed, you know, hey, I, I need effort here or hey, you, you know, I really need more uh, from you here or whatever, you know, so they, they really thrived in that type of context. And then other people wanted the opportunity to give us that 360 degree feedback, which we'll get to in just a little bit. They wanted that opportunity to write it down, to think about it, you know, to give a score or whatever. So I think if you're listening today, like Becky said, this should not be an intimidating process whatsoever. It should be centered around helping you grow, which is what I tried to lead with. You know, we were only trying to get the best out of our employees. And so however you do that, you do that. But I will say you got to do it. And to your point, I think it's a great idea to find out from your employees, hey, how are you most comfortable providing feedback? Because for some people off the cuff, they really can provide honest, clear, concise feedback that is constructive. But they might feel cornered. They might feel uncomfortable. You know, they might be somebody that needs to think it out and write it down. 
you know, I we always encourage things like Myers-Briggs and, and mm-hmm. finding out your color and all of those types of things when you're working in these teams, because it really does truly give you insight into how the, the people that you're working with kind of tick in ways that they're not going to tell you. But it's also important to do this with your employees in terms of finding out how they're comfortable finding and receiving and processing feedback as well. Absolutely. And Becky, I just once again want to reemphasize, uh, I love Myers-Briggs. My wife actually kind of landed in the strengths assessment test. So, you know, there's there's two different kind of testing modalities out there that are really inexpensive and easy to administer for your team. And of course, these can be done online. Uh, so I love the fact that, you know, Becky and I both share this belief that by understanding a little bit about what makes your employee tick, you can then create an, an atmosphere, an environment, a, a process that is best catered to their needs. So this is really important. The thing I want to talk to you about, Becky, is before we get into some of the mechanics of this and the timing and all that, is we have to unlink, in my opinion, performance evaluation with raise because we all know it, the conversation goes like this. Becky, the veterinary technician, goes up to her manager and says, Susie or Johnny, I think it's time for my evaluation, which is what Becky is coded saying, I need a raise, right? So right. This, this this intimate linking between performance eval and raises, we, we just never bought into that, Becky, because we felt like that kind of de-emphasized the whole evaluation process, right? We were trying to evaluate your performance. We weren't just say, hey, it's time for your raise. And so we completely decoupled this from the get-go. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we had such a rigorous you know, formal and informal evaluation process during the first six months of, of hire, because we didn't want you to think that every time we did an evaluation with you, whether it's formal or informal, that you were getting a raise, right? We then tied our raises to some action, some task that we originated and, and sort of collaborated on. So both people, both parties, the, the employer and the employee were putting in. And you said, hey, I want to do this. And upon completion of this, then you might get a raise, right? So we tried to tie it to some action that came out about as a result of the evaluation. Does that make sense to you, Becky? Absolutely. And a hundred percent something I've encouraged as well when I speak with clinics and when I talk about team dynamics and culture is, is that exact thing. When we absolutely want to positively reinforce actions, we definitely want to positive reinforce um, and, and provide even just truly cost of living raises. Like right. I think this is an area where a lot of a lot of veterinary technicians tell me that not only have they not got a raise or it's one that doesn't even really equate to common cost of living raises. So we need to respect that in our employees or or maybe associate that cost of living raise with that evaluation that says this is not performance-based. But when there is an opportunity to give performance-based reviews and praise with or without that raise, that's wonderful. But they can't be one and the same. It, it right. creates such a bad feeling and such a feeling of doom and gloom. And I think right. when we're talking about the you know, support staff. And when we talk about the short lived life of veterinary technicians and just kind of depression and and fatigue in general, when you feel like you're working really hard and then you get sat down and told the areas where you are maybe not flourishing and this is the crutch for why you will not get more money. I think it really does lead to that cycle because we don't see ourselves as ever getting out of that support staff, veterinary technicians, veterinary people in general, we work so hard and we're so proud of the work that we do to kind of get that knocked down in a place where we're already not making enough money. It it can really lead to that ultimate separation. Yeah, that is a great point. And and what we also found, Becky, was that if you linked the eval with the raise, 
honestly, what people heard the entire time when you're like going over performance metrics, they're just going, I wonder how much I'm going to get today. I wonder if I'm going to get a dollar. What is Susie yeah. get? Susie got 75. So the whole time you're like trying to dig into how we can make you better and how you can make our practice better. They're actually having an internal conversation, <laughs> wondering what they're going to get with the raise. And, and again, we just didn't find that productive at all. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and so I think it's, it, we're settled on that, right? Separate the two, figure out the best ways to do it. So how did you give, you know, your annual raises and incentives? How did you determine that by your employees? Like, what's a guideline for that? Just in general. Yeah. And it's, it's complex. So there's, there's, it's difficult to ascribe a general rule of thumb to something like this, but in short, we would look at our profitability quarter over quarter, year over year. And so we really based everything around profitability because honestly, that's the only disposable income that we have. And so if we were running an efficient, lean process, then our profit would go up and we would have more money to distribute to our staff in the term in terms of wages and benefits. Uh, we also really worked hard, Becky, to give as many pre-tax dollars in the form of excess benefits because we felt like, you know, even retirement and insurance and all those types of things really benefit you much more than just a dollar raise because a dollar raise winds up being like 70 cents, you know, after taxes and so forth, depending on where you live. Uh, but if you were to give that in the form of a benefit, a real tangible benefit that, that the employee needs, then that's a dollar raise, you know? So there are a lot of ways to play this game, but by and large, we based it on profitability. And if we were having a profitable year, uh, we were a bit, you know, we were sort of this quote unquote, semi open book management. Uh, you know, I, I think when people say open book management, they think that, oh, all the, the finances are out there. We really found that our, our employees were kind of like top line people. They wanted to know like how much we grew, what was our revenue, what were our expenses. Um, they rarely drilled down into how much was our water bill, you know? And I, I really, you know, Laura will tell you, she pays very close attention to the nickels, but most of our employees saw, okay, we're growing. Oh, we're spending more money oh, we're spending less money and we're not growing. Like they understood. And remember too, back in the recession days, Becky, we might not have seen so much top line growth, but we really maximized efficiency. So our profit maintained. So we were able to continue to give pretty generous raises throughout 08, 09, 10, you know, because we were focusing really, really hard on our, um, on our profitability. I think, you know, I mean, we could obviously do an entire podcast on how that all breaks down and the importance of transparency from a financial standpoint within the practice. I talk about that so much because I think it is it is really important to help everyone understand where you're at. But kind of moving away from that in a way, I think when we talk about, you know, being transparent and including our our staff in in semi open book, right? Right. I think this can also be included in the 360 process, which is so important, Absolutely. right? We've got to talk about that. So I want to know from my employees, not only how they feel they're doing, how their coworkers and colleagues are doing, but how they feel the practice is doing. Because if you can find out from your employees how they view the current status and health of the clinic, it can help you get an idea of how transparent you are or are not being and where you maybe need to better communicate. And this is where trusting the system is really imperative and essential for this to succeed. So 360 feedback is predicated on the belief and the, 
the system that you give honest, authentic feedback. So you're an employee and you say, hey, I like this. I don't like this. And you feel that you can trust that system, that there might not be direct consequences if you share something critical. For example, if you said, I don't think Dr. Ward is spending enough time with me or I don't like the way he talked to me. If you feel that there will be negative recourse or repercussions, then you're not going to share that information. And what we found back here over the years consistently, you know, and again, I'm, I'm a little bit older than a lot of our listeners probably, but in, you know, over 30 years of, of being in practice and owning practices, we found that it took a couple of years of full-time employment before someone like you, Becky, would trust the system. So 360 feedback, remember, it's only as good as the trust that's baked in. And, and if you think that, well, we give it, we make it anonymous. If you think that's true, it's not. Because we all know that there's going to be some tip, some little tell that you're going to give away. Like if you're a technician, there's something you're going to complain about that would only be unique to technicians, perhaps, right? You know, and same thing goes for receptionists or doctors or what whatnot. So we know that, that there has to be this trust in the system that you really do appreciate the feedback. But but I want to kind of tell you our process. And again, this is just just for what it is. You know, we we experimented over the years with a wide variety of techniques. Uh, but this is sort of what we settled on for most of, of our career. The first step we do is, so let's say it's a new employee, Becky. So this is during that first year or so of employment. Um, the first thing we did during the first formal of you, not these check-ins, but actually the first check-up at three months or the 90-day the first thing we did was we asked their sort of direct peers, if you will. So like, let's say, Becky, you're one of our experienced long-term staff members and, and Susie's a new veterinary technician. Then we would go and ask you to fill out a very brief evaluation of it. And we would say, Becky, this is anonymous. Of course, if you want to put your name on it, that's fine. But we would try to get feedback from two or three peers because we wanted to get that other perspective that perhaps our, our owners or managers or, or even doctors didn't quite get. So that was the start of it. We also then ask something really, really important. Uh, and, and I guess over the years, I always thought everybody did this, Becky, but this is a really strong tool. So that first formal evaluation, and quite frankly, we do it for the first two. So the 90 day, the three month, and we do it at the six month. We don't always do it at one year, but I'll explain. We ask you, the new employee, to say, who would you like to, to give uh, an evaluation of you? We actually ask them to pick a team member. Now, you say, why are you doing that? We're doing that to see where they are bonded, right? Because now if I need to, to sort of nudge towards more mentorship and she says, yeah, you know, I'd feel comfortable with Becky, right? Evaluating me. That tells me that Becky is probably going to be the person that I might need to intervene. Does that make sense to you, Becky? It was kind of this clever way we thought to sort of identify who you're closest to, because then if I had to give some action items afterward, I might say, Becky, you know, Susie's struggling in this area. Um, I think she seems pretty close and bonded with you. Would you mind helping her? Have you ever done that type of thing? So I think it's a cool way to figure out who you can help lead to um, mentorship or, you know, this person seems to trust and look up to you. So it'd be really cool if you if you would share your skills or kind of take them under their, your wing. I think that's a great idea for me. You know, when I think about this process, you're exactly right. We are damaged from past experiences. Very few places that we come from are going to be doing a really healthy review process that is actually meant to improve you as an individual is you know, once you get to that process, you may really enjoy it. So I think right. back to the first time I ever had a, an article edited professionally and I was devastated and I was like, I am ne never going to write anything again because clearly <laughs> I'm terrible. And two, this doesn't even this this isn't even my voice. Look at all the red pen here. Um, 
And then I noticed the second time I wrote, I wrote a lot better. And the next time I was edited and the next time I was edited. And now I'm like begging people to edit. Please, will you look at this? Will you give me some feedback? Because it has truly improved who I am as a writer, right? Right. So if we create that feeling within the clinic, when we do provide guidance or leadership on areas of improvement, the the point would be that the individual actually feels improved, that they actually feel like they benefited from that feedback in that way. So if if we're creating it in such a way, my point here is I would be looking for the person who's most likely going to be critical of me because I want to hear what they're going to say because I get such satisfaction from the truth and that true area where I can improve, where my cohort in the clinic is probably just going to tell me I'm really fabulous. So if we can create positive reinforcement and incentive for growth and we have the individuals in our clinic who want it, you know, I would challenge that they would be looking for the person or how do we help them look for the person who would give them the most feedback? Okay. So in addition to that, we then give the person, the the new employee or the old employee, a self-evaluation form. It's a pretty simple form. Typically there's five questions on there and we simply ask you things like, uh, what have you if you're a past, you know, a previous employee, we say, what did you accomplish since your last eval? You know, which goals did you attain? You know, how do you, you know, this is real simple, like, you know, bring us back up to speed. Where were you your last eval six months ago or even a year ago? Uh, and bring us up to speed on what you accomplished during that interim. The second thing is we ask for, where do you think the areas are that you're really excelling? So a lot of times, and this will, this is dynamic because you think, well, Susie's been with us for 10 years. I mean, she's going to say the same old thing. It actually, we find is sort of like these surges of enthusiasm. And so suddenly, you know, Susie's really excited because she just came back from a feline conference. And so That's she's right. just super, right? So we find that the thing that she's really excited about, that she says she's excelling and, you know, that's going to be different from time to time. And then we say, you know, where are some areas that you, you, think you could improve personally. And, you know, again, getting back to the trusting the system, we find that the longer the employee had been with us, the more truthful and authentic they were with those responses. But, you know, you just kind of have to decipher that. Then we ask two questions about how we're doing as managers and leaders. Again, getting back to this 360 degree feedback loop, um, it's trust, right, Becky? I mean, you know, if you think you're going to say something that's going to be potentially, you know, uh, damaging to you. You're not, you know, so, so once people figure this out and once they go through a couple of avowals with us and they realize these people just genuinely want to know, you know, and they want us to understand. And, and you may have to draw that out actually during the, the avowal itself. So many times people will be like, everything's awesome. Oh no, Dr. Ward, you're perfect. Right. Yeah. And, and we know that's totally bogus because none of us are perfect. And so many times you would have to sit in those avowals and go, you know, look, I, you, know, they, you would say, what's something that, you know, anything I'm doing that, that I could do better to help you? Oh no, Dr. Ward, I really appreciate your mentorship. And so let's get to that mentorship. I mean, what am I doing really? Right. I mean, how am I mentoring you? Cause I'm kind of looking at going, I need to do a lot more. And then you might kind of catalyze a conversation around that, right, Becky? I mean, you may have to draw it out of them during that process, but it needs to be inviting and welcoming. This is why I will tell you, it is the art of conversation. These evaluations need to be less about numbers on a piece of paper and more about, you know, how can we further a conversation that benefits all of us? That's, I mean, that's exactly right. And and at the end of the day, it boils down to trust. And, and to that point, you also have to have management that can do this, can handle this, right? right? That is going to do a great job that can hear this feedback and not, you know, create a bigger problem. So this is really a top-down approach. Um, it, it, it takes top-down maturity. You have to have the right people in place administering these types of evaluations to make them safe and trustworthy. But boy, if you have them, 
you can identify areas where your technicians are asking to grow, areas where your customer service reps would love to have further training. You can really provide. We know that financial is is not number one on the list for support staff members when things that they're looking for in a job. It's, it's utilization. It's training. It's education. It's mentorship. It's a great culture. And so these types of evaluation processes can 100% create that for your employees where it isn't about money. They, they appreciate the training and the fact that you listen. Yeah. And Laura was a master at this. I mean, I got to tell you, I learned most of these types of communication skills from my lovely wife, a hospital administrator, but she would, you know, she would have like a, a receptionist in there, a kennel person for review. And she would ask questions, you know, just so innocent and so inviting things like, so if money were no object here at Seaside Animal Care, what's like, what's something we could do to like totally change you know, boarding, right? I mean, just, just what can we do like to our lobby? Like money's no object. Like what can we do to like, just make this thing pop and people love it. And of course those conversations you might say are wasted time because, you know, they came up with some really, you know, expensive solutions. But, <laughs> but what we were saying is, no, we want you to be creative. And here was what was more important. Like she used to always tell me, she used to say, look, no matter what the idea that they are coming up with, the fact is you are asking for their idea. And that's what makes the biggest difference in the world. They want to be heard. And so as management, you need to allow them to be heard, encourage them to speak up. And, and you know what you'll find, Becky, in those little conversations, and even though now they were starting to you know, do virtual reality goggles and everybody that walks into the lobby, but you started to realize, ah, okay, we maybe can't do VR goggles, but we can give an iPad, which is actually where that whole thing started. That started from a receptionist who was just brainstorming during evaluation. Uh, and this is 10 years ago. And she was like going, you know, what if we, instead of like having magazines everywhere, what if when they came in, if they had a cat, like we handed them an iPad and we already had like something loaded about like senior cats. And that was where that whole thing started. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And you have brilliant people working within your clinic. I would hope you would agree. Otherwise, you wouldn't have hired them. That's right. Why would you not want to tap into their brilliance? Why would you not want to tap into their experience? What we know is that every set of eyes is better than just one. They have great ideas. And and these people are showing up and giving you 110% every day. They're invested. They're invested in the outcome of the clinic. They're invested in the experience for the client. They're invested in the experience for the pet. And so they're going to want to provide you with great ideas and things they think would work that are in the best interest of everyone in that building. So Becky, I do, as we sort of wrap up today's conversation, because as you can tell, if you're listening, we're so excited and enthusiastic about this. I mean, this makes, this really made our practices sing. You know, this was the thing that unified, harmonized, and actually caused us to excel consistently, uh, I believe. But regardless, there were most times, you know, we always had to offer, as we call them, areas of opportunity. <laughs> and that's a polite way of us saying, you kind of need to do better here, right? So these are areas of opportunities for you. And so I will say that the real art of this is to be able to sit across from an employee and say, I love what you're doing. This is awesome with cats, with dogs, whatever it is, you know, with client, difficult clients, you know, or managing associates, whatever it is they are. But at the end of the day, you also need to push the ball a little further. You know, what is your one foot to carry? And so you have to have that ask. And so this is where I think a lot of veterinary managers and so forth are either A, they're hesitant to ask, right? They're ha- to, to push that one little bit or the whole thing becomes just a push, which is kind of a, a whiny fest, right? And which then, of course, as Becky has said numerous times, that's no fun and people start to dread it. 
So I would encourage you to find that one thing that you believe that you can work on. Now, the way we did it was we, we didn't put it on the paper. So it was not on the paper when we walked into this evaluation. It was blank. And what we did was we got to the end of the conversation and we wrapped these things up. Becky, these are not hour-long cry fest, right? These are 30 minutes. We have 30 minutes to do it. Now, it's true with some associates and higher level, like a, a practice manager, an office manager, we would sometimes extend that to an hour. But in general, we tried to wrap this thing up. We really wanted to have a conversation. The paper was just the catalyst for the conversation, yada, yada. But now we came to the end and we're like, okay, so Becky, you know, uh, I, I really appreciate this going to this feline conference and so forth. But one of the areas that we really need help and specifically need help with you is, um, you know, sometimes when things get a little stressed, we're running behind, you know, it can get super tense in the treatment area. And Becky, one of the things that, that you know, I certainly have noticed, and it's not every day, uh, it's not even most days, but when you get stressed in particular, you know, you get a little snippy, snippy with me, snippy with that, right? So now I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm raising awareness of a behavior that I think you need to change. And you say, Becky, I mean, do you, do you see it that way? I then invite you in to give your two cents. And you may or may not agree with me, you may say, oh, I, I didn't know that, which is typically what people will say, regardless of if it's true or not. And then you say, well, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal, but, but here's some things. What, what do you think we could do? Like, how could we obviate or mitigate that situation? So first of all, you and I know we work in a veterinary practice is going to get hectic. But how can we, you know, as a team sort of not get all jacked up and tense and start to get snippy with each other? Did you, did you like those kind of conversations when you were doing evals? <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know that anybody really, you know, totally likes them. I think there can be some patronizing in those types of conversations when it gets a little bit too, um, you know, padded like that. But I'm also a very direct person. So one thing I like to try to do for me is if I can say, okay, this is a negative aspect that we've heard in the 3060 feedback about this one employee. And it, and it, and what, it, what this says is that when it gets hectic and busy in the back, this employee becomes snippy. Mm -hmm. So then I wonder maybe how are we doing on stress management? What kind of hectic are we looking at? Is it hectic on a day-to-day -day basis? Is this a clinic issue? And this person is frustrated that there is a poor process involved. And so therefore they're becoming right. resentful that discharges and walk-ins and afternoon appointments are all being seen at the same time, which sets them up for failure and a late afternoon every day, no matter what. Right. right. And so then therefore their snippiness is really actually a manifestation of a poor process that they're, that they don't feel comfortable talking about. And so it's, it's manifesting as resentment or anger. Um, but if it's just an attitude problem, you know, for me, for the most part, I, you know, I'm pretty direct about those types of things and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to see you work on your stress management. Here are some times that I identify that you might want to specifically be looking at it. And for me, more than anything, when we're having these conversations as an employee who receives them, as an, as an employer who gives them, is I hate to be told, quote unquote, what is wrong without any kind of strategy of how to fix it. Right. And so you're exactly right. If you have an employee in the background who's, who's snippy when they are stressed, then what does that look like? Do they maybe need to move over and do surgery discharge and just that? How do I set them up for success? How do I help them fix this process that I'm introducing to them? Because I think we get into an area of discomfort when we are only identifying what we don't like and not helping them improve it or find a process to improve it. They might not have the tools. They might already know. They don't like it about themselves. They don't know how to fix it. And the value of performance valuations, and honestly, like if this is a, a, 
a behavior that's occurring. Like right now, you don't really want to wait six months or a year to, to bring it up in a performance evaluation. That's a whole nother podcast, Becky. And one we've touched on many, many times here about giving direct feedback when it's most needed, which is in the moment. But getting back to this thing, you've got to have the, the process, the avenue to actually have these conversations or you just won't get better and people get frustrated. You're exactly right. And that's an important point. There's nothing worse than finding out it's something you've been doing for a year. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? We could not have given me any because now it's a behavior. Like now I have to undo this thing that I've been doing. You know, like if it's like, oh, well, you know, you put this thing back in the wrong place every day for the last year. (laughs) Okay, well, now we have to electroshock therapy me out of that. So, you know, I I 100% agree. We have to look at what we're asking and how we how we provide that feedback. And, you know, there has to be a statute of limitations to behaviors (laughs) or, or things that happen. We can't be bringing them up. And again, don't wait another year to follow up on it. If you do an evaluation and there is a processes improvement, we want to follow up again on that in a couple of weeks to a month, not leave it dangling for six months to a year for someone to say, oh, I thought I fixed it. Yep. So just to reiterate, as we close up today, our old schedule, the standby for 30 plus years look like this informal eval at week four or one month in informal eval, the check in, if you will, at two months in formal eval, the check up at three months at six months. And then every six months, you had a formal evaluation for your first three years, after which we said, you know what, we're going to cut it back to yearly. You're good to go. So I'd like to hear from you guys. What is your performance evaluation schedule? Are you being evaluated enough? Do you get the kind of feedback that helps you be a better veterinary professional? Or would you like to see more? We want to hear from you. That's right. Let us know on Facebook or on Instagram. You can find us at Veterinary Viewfinder or at Vet Viewfinder on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter. While you are looking for your favorite podcast, don't forget to click and subscribe so that you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And don't forget, leave us a review, a performance evaluation, if you will. <laughs> and you know, we'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe and give us that five star. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Yeah.